Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this time of worship. We ask that you open our hearts and minds to this message and to help us understand your word. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the book of Ephesians, for those of you who haven't joined us yet for this series. And we are in the last chapter, the last chapter of the letter to the church in Ephesus and beyond the church at Ephesus to the churches of Asia Minor. This section of scripture here is about spiritual warfare. The Christians struggle not against flesh and blood, ultimately, but against the principalities and powers, the rulers and authorities of this present darkness in the heavenly places or in the spiritual realm. So we've made it all the way through to this last section. And if you'll remember last week, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Right? Now, we, from the outside looking in, seem to only struggle against flesh and blood. Most of our conflicts have to do with people, right? But primarily, if we're honest, I think for most of us, the greatest struggle we have would be with this flesh and blood, your own person, right? There's a great internal struggle and wrestle with faith and with Christ and with the Word and with demons, invisible but real. And, and for us in the United States in 2019, I think it's hard for us to really believe what Paul is saying here. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's hard for us to believe that this is actually happening because I can see you, you can see me, I can hear the loudness and the anger in your voice. I can hear the disobedience coming out of my child's mouth and in the actions. It's very real and tangible. Where this, I just, I've never seen it. I don't know, right? And that's kind of the way that we approach spiritual warfare. We're like, yeah, maybe, but I don't know. In other parts of the globe, this is just a given. It's like, of course, there's spirits, and they, they rule over all kinds of situations and circumstances and territories and people. But for us, the challenge is actually, I think, to believe that this is real. So I believe this is real. I believe there are real personal spirit beings that were once good angels that chose to rebel against God and his authority and have become 
what we know as demons. And I believe that demons are especially opposed to Christians and to the work of the church and to the work of God and his gospel. And we spent quite a bit of time in this text last week. So now we are moving on. And we are moving on to 13 and 14. So because there is this great cosmic war happening invisibly, but happening in your life and in my life, and remember from last week, the wrestling image is hand to hand, hand on shoulder, head to, you know, head to chest, hip throwing. I mean, you're, you're locking arms with spiritual beings that are very close, too close for comfort. This is personal is what I'm trying to say. And one of the things that, that just blows me away as I, as I meditate on it is that Satan and his angels have had since the beginning of time to study us, to know exactly where your weakness is, where your temptation is, where your buttons are to push. They've seen you before thousands of times. And so therefore, the, the enemy that is against us is formidable because he's invisible and he knows us well. Yet, yet, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And the beauty of this last little section of Ephesians is Paul is saying, look, look, there are methods, there are schemes, there are strategies of the enemy, but we're not ignorant. We're not unknowledgeable about what he's doing. And so why don't we expose and bring visible what is invisible? That's what we're doing right now. Now, you better believe that Satan does not like this, and he doesn't want this message to be heard by you or to be applied by you. Like, live it out. Don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of it. Now, this first little sentence here is what we'll take. Therefore, that points to what just came before. Since we are in this cosmic war, since we're not just wrestling against flesh and blood, since there is a heavenly spiritual realm that we engage with and it engages with us, we need to take up the whole armor of God. Why? That we may be able to withstand in the evil day or stand in the evil day. The evil day, listen friends, is any day that you're being attacked. And here's when you're being attacked. You're being attacked in the everyday. Okay, how do I know this? Because we, we take the text in context. And starting in chapter 3 into 6, there was a lot of normal rhythm of life stuff happening. You resisting sin, you not being angry, you not letting the sun go down on your anger. Because if you do let the sun go down on your anger, what happens? You give the devil a foothold. So, so picture this, you, your house is your life and you lock the doors because you believe in total depravity, right? Amen. Yeah. You lock your doors at night, I hope. And if not, you should study theology because, <laughs> because we're all totally depraved. We're not as bad as we could be, but some are worse than others, right? And some people want what you have, and they will come in to take it. 
Some of us in this very room have had our houses broken into and our, our cars stolen. You know, and you lock your doors. The laughter gives away who. <laughs> anyway, so the, when you are angry, it is possible to not sin. How do I know that? Well, because Jesus was really ticked one time in the scriptures. He was so mad that he made a whip and he started whipping people and animals, flipping over tables and driving people out of the temple, the court of the Gentiles, because that was the place where the Gentiles were supposed to meet with God. And instead, it had become a market, not a place to meet with God. And he was angry and he did not sin. Ever did Jesus sin. It is possible to be angry and not sin. Is God a wrathful God? Absolutely. He's angry with the wicked every day, we learn. So it's not a sin to be angry, but it is a sin to sin in your anger. To say things you shouldn't, to accuse when you shouldn't be accusing, to shift blame, to destroy things perhaps, to kick animals, whatever the case. But when you sin, listen friends, or when you're angry, you must not let it dwell and fester and grow and ferment. If you do, remember the locked door image of your house? The devil has a foot in the door and you can't get it closed. And as soon as his foot's in the door, he's coming in. He's coming into your life. And what you have is demonic activity happening in your life. And you're like, come on, listen. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a foothold. That's what Paul said. Now, you might, it's just anger. The devil will enter your life if you don't deal with your anger. Did you hear me? Did you hear Paul? How normal is anger? <laughs> I mean, I'm ticked off almost every day, <laughs> right? Just drive through Pittsburgh. Watch the news. I mean, anger is a, nor a normal thing, yet it's, it can become satanic, you see? And then Paul goes on to talk about how we do marriage and how we do children and how we do uh, fighting temptation and how we work. And listen, all this has demonic warfare attached to it. The evil day is every day, friends, because we live in a world that is populated by evil spirits, and they have you as their target. Friends, every temptation that you face every day is a temptation to give in to the dark side and to sin against God and to rebel against Him. Do you realize that? We don't take it serious, and so it's not a big deal. But sinning against God the first time brought the entire universe down. You realize that? The whole universe got cursed. And death entered, and we've known nothing but death and ugly since, brokenness since. Okay, so we need to be able to withstand in the evil day. When's the evil day? Practically every day. In the normal stuff of life, the frustrations of your job, the argument with your spouse, your kids being disobedient. Every day is an opportunity for the evil day. How are you going to stand against the wrestlings of the principalities and powers? How are you going to do it? Well, this text tells us we need to take up 
the whole armor of God. Now, this is spiritual weaponry. This is not physical. This has implications in the invisible realm. Okay? And you need to fight with spiritual weapons because your enemy is not flesh and blood. They're not physical. Now, they express themselves through physical people. But there's something deeper. There's something behind the physicality of it. Spiritual warfare happens so often that we miss it. Paul Tripp said spiritual warfare is gloriously mundane. It's gloriously mundane in that it happens all the time so often that you don't even realize it's happening. You don't even realize you're in a battle because we want the sensational, right? We want to see stuff levitate in the house, right? We want to see, we want to see uncontrollable throwing up and, and speech that we can't understand and eyes rolling back in the head. Okay, that, that is it right there. No, no. When you're in an argument with your spouse, potentially that is it right there. You hear me? Your coworker is frustrating the mess out of you. That is it right there. Your wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, ruling over this dark world. So when is it happening? When driving and daydreaming, after a fight with your kids or spouse, on social media, while watching the news, while at work and in conversation with coworkers, when you're discouraged, when you're being tempted, and so on and so forth. For Christians, though, we should be very encouraged because Jesus has already won. Jesus has already won the war for us, okay? So we need to, listen, remember, remember, remember that your fight is a small battle, but the war is already won. We can see this in this text in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. 13 to 15, just prior to this verse, uh, Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, said, there are elemental spirits and vain or empty philosophy that you guys are being tempted to buy into, and it's demonic. And he talks about coming out of spiritual death in the kingdom of darkness into the, to the kingdom of light. And the metaphor he uses is spiritual circumcision. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, for the Jews, circumcision was a sign that you were in the covenant. You were in the people of God. You were God's people. But in the New Covenant, we have what Paul says here is like a circumcision made without hands. It's being born again. It's being new spiritually. It's metaphoric. And you, Colossians, by extension us, who were dead in your trespasses and sins... And the uncircumcision of your flesh, there's that spiritual uncircumcision. But as Colossians, they were not Jewish, so they were probably also physically uncircumcised. God made alive together with him. You were spiritually dead. God made you spiritually alive. You were taken out of the kingdom of darkness, out of Satan's domain, into the kingdom of light, into Christ's domain. Having forgiven us all our trespasses, I love it, Every trespass that you've ever trespassed, and I've done some real physical trespassing, hopping over fences that said no trespassing. Like, I get what that means. You've trespassed 
God many times. Every time there is a thou shalt not or you must not or don't, you've done it and you've trespassed his law. All of them forgiven in Christ. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now, forgiveness literally is the releasing of a debt. God forgives you and he releases the legal debt that you owe him, your sin debt. Your sin debt. How? He put it on Jesus. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When Jesus was nailed to the cross in great horror, your sin, your legal debt that you owed to God was also nailed on Jesus. He paid for your sin and my sin. Therefore, the legal demands of me trespassing were met by Jesus. No more fine to pay. No more jail. No more condemnation. Jesus took the punishment in my place. He got treated on the cross like he lived my foul, dirty, trespassing life. He disarmed, Jesus, he disarmed. Now what happens if you're, you know, like a ninja warrior and someone pulls a gun on you and says, give me your wallet and you do one of these, you know, one of those crazy moves and all of a sudden you got the gun? Gus knows how to do it. You want to come demonstrate? No, not right now. So you do one of these crazy moves and all of a sudden you're holding the gun. You just disarmed the robber, okay? Jesus disarmed who? The rulers and authorities, the demonic powers. He disarmed them. No more weapons. How? Put them to open shame. How? By triumphing over them in him. Or you could translate that, or in it. That would be the cross. By Jesus going to the cross, he disarmed the principalities and powers, the demonic realm. Why? Because they now have no accusation to throw at us. Because Jesus took the accusations that were rightfully ours and soaked them into himself by his death. Disarmed. We'll get into that in just a moment. What does Satan do? What does Satan do? What's his purpose? What's his desire for us. John 10 is a, is a lovely chapter about Jesus and his sheep. He's the chief shepherd. We are his sheep as Christians. The thief, now the thief here, we could say is, is typified as Satan. Satan is the ultimate thief. All low-level thieves are like their father, the capital T thief. What do thieves do? What does the capital T thief do? Comes only to steal kill, and destroy. That's Satan's purpose in your life. That's Satan's purpose in my life, to come and to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal from us joy, assurance, faith, peace, hope, even property. You remember the story of Job? Satan sent robbers to come in and steal his property. It's a real thing. To kill and destroy us. Satan would love nothing more then for us, human beings made in God's image, and especially Christians, to be utterly wiped out. He would love it, to exterminate us. That would be his desire. He'd be pleased with that. He has no compassion, and he is the epitome of malice and evil in a being, in a person. You've never met a being with no compassion and no empathy. You've never met a being without any love at all unless you've met with Satan. And we can't even imagine what that would be like. 
The worst of the worst in human history are not as bad as they could actually be. They could be worse. The thief comes only to kill, I'm sorry, steal, kill, and destroy. Now, in contrast to the thief, here's the good shepherd. I came that they, my sheep, may have life. Look, death, stealing, killing, life, and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, excuse me, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Satan wants to come and take your life. Jesus comes and gives up his life for you and for me. He's the good shepherd. He is the opposite of Satan. So Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give life, life more abundantly, life more full. We're all looking for fullness in life. And Jesus says, I am the author of life. I know what it was meant to be, and I will give it to you if you will but come to me, and I will prove it by laying down my life for yours, for yours. This is uh, another one of Satan's desires here. What does he want to do? What's his desire? What's his purpose? Peter, uh, the, the lead of the apostles, reminds us, be sober minded, sober minded. That means you're able to think clearly. You're able to see clearly. You're able to see spiritual reality, even though it's invisible. You're discerning. You're not apathetic and asleep. You're watchful. You are sober minded. Your adversary, and and I put that little word in Greek there to remind me of what that word means. Um, And I forgot to put what the actual word means. (laughs) It means... Here's what it means. Accuser means legal accuser in a court of law. Legal accuser in a court of law. This is what Satan does. He legally seeks to accuse you of your trespasses, your sins, your violations. He's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses them day and night. The devil, accuser, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter's writing to suffering Christians dispersed all over uh, the first century world, and he's saying the same kinds of trouble and suffering that you're experiencing are being experienced by everyone all over the place. And it's Satan. He is actively pursuing the church and Christians. And he wants to devour. Now, what does he want to devour in you? Certainly, he wants to devour your faith in Jesus. Remember last week, the parable of the soils? The word is put on hard soil and Satan comes and immediately snatches it away so that it can bear no fruit. This is his purpose. So that you would not believe. Jesus prays for Peter. Okay, this is um, a story in the Gospels where Jesus has insight into this invisible realm. And he says, Peter, listen, listen. Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Like a pitchfork, throw it up in the air, chaff blows away, wheat falls down. He wants to He wants to sift you. He wants to attack you. He has asked permission. But listen, Peter, I've prayed for you so that your faith, doesn't what? Fail. Satan wants your faith and my faith to fail. Faith in what? 
Faith in God. Faith in God's word. Faith in the gospel. Faith means trust. And Satan would like nothing more for you to begin believing his word and stop believing God's word. Because if you believe his words, he's got you on a path that leads to death and destruction. This is exactly what Satan did to Eve. God's word was, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. Satan comes with the exact opposite counterclaim. You will surely not die if you eat this. Rather, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to sift you like wheat, sift me like wheat. He wants our faith to fail. Now, this accuser here, that your adversary, the word means accuser, is pictured in this story in Zechariah 3, 1 to 5. This is the story um, that is picked up here by R.C. Sproul in The Priest with Dirty Clothes. In fact, this, I should have scanned this and put it on the screen for you. you. You guys can't see that, but this is the angel of the Lord. Here's Satan. Here's the priest here. And um, it's, it's this story I'm about to read from the screen for you. It's a great story. Then he showed me, this is God showing Zechariah a vision, Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So you have, it's like a courtroom setting. You got the angel of the Lord, probably Jesus. You got Satan here and you got the high priest Joshua here. And you got the accuser accusing And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? I love it. So Joshua is pictured by God rightly as a burning stick and God saved him from being consumed by the fire. Because Joshua, the high priest, is a sinner. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments, picturing our sin, dirty clothes, defiled. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments, new clothes. And I said, Zechariah, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. This is a picture, friends, of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his perfect life given to you as a gift. Your old, sinful, dirty, defiled self was taken on Jesus on the cross, put on Jesus on the cross. You get clothed in his righteousness. You get clothed in his beauty and perfection. Friends, you are righteous in Christ. Do you realize this? The accuser can only accuse you superficially. He will accuse you of how foul, dirty, and disgusting you are. And you know what you can say to him? It's all true. And I have the righteousness of Christ in place of my own foul righteousness. Something like that you can say. And there's nothing more he can say. I am not right with God because of my cleanliness. I am only right with God because of Jesus' cleanliness. Your accusations fall flat. And you defeat him with the gospel. The righteousness of Christ is mine, and I cling to it and nothing less. 
I will not be found in myself with my own righteousness. 1 John 3, 20 to 21. Has your heart ever condemned you? I don't even want to show hands because I just see you guys all shaking your head. Of course your heart has condemned you because you know you're wrong. Especially when God's word is revealed to you. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This section here is talking about confidence and assurance of faith. Confidence and assurance of acceptance by God. Friends, if you are relying on Jesus... Even when your conscience condemns you, you can speak to your own conscience and say, it's not about me. It's all about he. And that's the truth. You must not rely on your own goodness, your own knowledge, your own strength. Remember last week, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. His might, not yours. His righteousness, not yours. Your heart will condemn you, and you must learn to preach to yourself and say, it's not about me. Yes, I am foul. Yes, I am disgusting. Yes, I have way further to go than I would like to admit, but it's not ultimately about me. I do not get myself to the promised land. He will get me there. It's his strength, not mine. And you speak to yourself this way over and over again. And what Satan will do to you is he will use your conscience to condemn you and to make you ineffective and to make you depressed and to make you discouraged and to make you not want to fight the good fight of faith, but just give up. Give up. How many of you have ever thought that crippling discouragement is satanic warfare? Have any of you ever realized that? Like crippling depression satanic warfare. Not all the time. It could be physical, but oftentimes he uses his invisible powers to afflict us in various ways. Discouragement, depression, anxiety. Now, let's look back at our text here. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Here's what I want you guys to see, okay? You are probably believing some satanic lies, and where does the power of a lie come into play? A lie only has power when you believe it. Only when you believe it. And in the same way, God's word has power in your life when? When you believe it, when you have faith. So here's here's what I'm saying. You will either have faith in Satan's lies, and some of those lies sound like your own voice in your head. They do. And maybe some of those lies were told to you when you were a child, and, and you've repeated them so much that they're just burned in there. And it's like, well, yeah, of course. Not knowing Satan is agitating and fueling. Jesus, in in the context here, is is dealing with a hostile crowd, unbelievers. Those who claim to be believers are also in the crowd here. And he says, you're not really believers. In fact, you won't listen to the words I say. Why do you not understand what I say? This is Jesus saying this. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are... Are of your father the devil, 
and your will is to do your father's desires. How do we know that someone is of the, the devil? Because his will and their will lines up parallelly. They, they want to do his will. Okay? And what Satan wants for you is to do you. To be selfish, to live for yourself, to get all you can, to not worry about anyone else, to not love God, to love you. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. So the first murder in the scriptures is where? Cain and Abel. And we learn that Cain was of the devil. Cain was of the devil. So that encounter with Cain and Abel was satanically inspired. This is Satan. He has been a murderer from the beginning. He's still a murderer now. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because, why? There is no truth in him. That's an amazing statement. Satan is a being in which no truth exists. No truth. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. His character is one of a false nature. Deception is who he is. For he is a liar and the father of lies. I love this. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe. He, he's saying, I'm telling you the truth and you refuse to believe me. Why? Because you're of your father, the devil. And he is the father of lies. And he doesn't stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. Friends, this is important. Why? Where are you going to put your faith? This is a spiritual battle as to where is your trust going to lie? Is it going to lie in God's word or somewhere else? And oftentimes we're tempted because it feels so right to believe our own intuitions. This is the flesh and blood that we need to struggle with the most, wrestle with. Because in the moment of temptation, it's a temptation because it looks like a great option, doesn't it? And all kinds of excuses of why you should give in come to mind immediately. And for some of us, we don't even go through that process. It's just immediate, I'm on it. You're just in the mess before you even knew what happened. And this is, this is the beauty of the gospel, that there's hope for you. <laughs> Even, even when you're right there in the mess, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in the middle of our mess, that's when he came and rescued us. So now that he's pulled you out of the mess, you don't think he's going to rescue you when you step back in it? This is what you need to remind yourself. I am growing oh so slowly, but I am growing, and I will not, not, not abandon Jesus. As hard as it gets, as much as I feel like he's abandoned me, as much as I feel like this Christian life is not worth it, and everyone around me who is not Christian is flourishing and doing well, it was easier when I wasn't a Christian. It probably was. Like, all those lies you need to reject and say, no, this life is so temporary. I have, I have a small dash compared to an infinite line. The dash is what I have to deal with. This is the fight zone. 
The day of rest is coming, but now is the time of struggle, friends. Now is the time of fight. Now is the time that you have to war. But friends, the fight will be over soon in comparison to eternity. Friends, even if you live 80 to 90 years, what is that to trillions times trillions of years? That the fight will be over. There is coming a day where there will be no more darkness, no more depression, no more death, no more discouragement, no more devil. It's coming, and soon, soon. Before we go to John 17, Psalm 119 is a long, long psalm. And verse 160 one say, aren't you glad that I don't put that whole 119 up? And some of you, like, I put this up, you're like, man, really? You're happy I don't put Psalm 119 up there. Psalm 119, 160 says this, listen, the sum of your word, the sum of it, the sum of your word is truth. I love it. Truth. Where do we go to get solid, foundational, not moving, not shifting truth? God's word. The sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. I love it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We have a solid foundation for our feet. The question is, will you step on it and stand on it and stay standing? That's the question. Or will you step off of the word and stand on reasoning or circumstance or lies or fill in the blank? John 17, Jesus is um, praying for his disciples, and then by extension, he prays for us. He says, I, I pray not just for them, but those who will believe in their message. Jesus praying to his father says, I do not ask that you take them, the disciples, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now, now, Jesus clearly believes that Satan is a real power in the world and that he is actively trying to get at Christians and, in this context, the disciples. And he prays to the Father, deliver them from the evil one. And didn't Jesus teach us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount? What? Deliver us from evil or the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, we know that there is uh, what has been called an, an unholy trinity of opposition against the Christian. It's the world, this is the world, the flesh, your sinful tendencies, your indwelling sin if you're a Christian, and the devil. Those are our three opponents that we must contend with. And the world from this text is the system that Satan has set up. Self-glorification, self-gratification, self-aggrandizement, self, self, self. Go and do you. That's the satanic system that you have to contend with. Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Abandon yourself. And the world system is telling you to do the exact opposite. Do the exact opposite. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And you think there's life there, but there's death there. How much have you done for you and how satisfied are you? That's the question you need to ask. It's the question I need to ask. 
just as I am not of the world, sanctify them. That means set them apart. Set them apart. Set them apart in the truth. Friends, listen, your word is truth. Do you see the theme running through all these texts here? The word of God is the truth that we must stand in. Set them apart in the truth. Listen, if you stand on God's word, you are going to be set apart from the world. You are going to look and act and speak very differently. Such that Peter knows if you actually stand in this truth and it sets you apart, people are going to ask you what is going on with you. And Peter tells us what to do, doesn't he? Be prepared to give an answer or a defense for the hope that lies within you. But do this with gentleness and respect because you're going to look strange. You're going to look different. You're going to stand out. You will feel like an alien in a foreign country because you are. We are citizens of heaven, not citizens of the United States of America, ultimately. Do you understand that? Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. And the citizenship of heaven will unite with this earth one day, and it's the eternal state. But until then, friends, we are aliens and strangers in this world, and we are not to love it. That doesn't mean uh, you can't like, go to the Grand Canyon and love it. That's not what that means. It means loving the self-gratification and the self-centered nature of the system. That's what it means. Okay? Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. That means I set myself apart. That they also may be Set apart in truth, in truth. Do you see it? So what we're dealing with is satanic lies and truth. This is the battleground, friends. And friends, some of the lies originate in your head the moment you are conscious in the morning. Is it not true? You have to battle as today's going to be a terrible day. How do you know that? How do you... Anyway, <laughs> so this is the end of Ephesians 3 here, and the truth is in Jesus, okay? This is why I'm pulling this text up. That is not the way you learn Christ. He just went through a list of sins. The sermon's online. Go, go listen to the sermon from this text. Assuming that you have heard of him, about him, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So when we talk about truth, Friends, we need to remember that the truth is always centered where? In a person. Jesus is truth. He said it himself. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, you're, you're seeking truth. You want truth. Here I am. Here I am. I am truth. And as the truth is in Jesus, this is the way I, I, I like to think about this. The whole Bible only makes sense when Jesus is right at the center of it. It's the only way it makes sense. We, we just looked at an Old Testament passage about an Old Testament priest. That only makes sense if we understand the end of Romans 3 that says, in the, in the former times, he passed over sins formerly committed and put them on Jesus. So that at the present time, God would be seen as just 
and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Only when you understand the righteousness of Christ can you understand the dirty clothes that were off of Joshua the high priest and the clean clothes that were put on him that was Jesus, his righteousness, credit to Joshua the high priest. You get it? But because we have the gospel, the gospel is our lens by which we read the scriptures. Starting in Genesis, ending in Revelation, as the truth is in Jesus. Okay? All right, now we could go further on that, but you'll be mad at me when it's like 8.30 and we're still going. Okay. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, what, what am I getting at here? What I'm getting at here is verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of what? Truth. Truth. Truth as opposed to lies. Satan is the liar and the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language, his native tongue. You need to take up truth as a belt. Now, many of you guys know this. This is a picture of the Roman soldier here. And they wore robes or tunics. And the way they would get dressed for battle is you pull the robe up, tuck it in or gird it, and you put the belt on, and the belt tightens, and it was also the sword holder, but it held your, your gear together, okay? And your belt that enables you to move freely, going with the imagery, is truth. Friends, here's, what, here's the application. How often are you meditating on God's Word? Because you know what Psalm 1 says about the person who meditates day and night on the word. They're like a tree planted by a stream of water. And whether the weather is dry as ever or it's nice, that tree bears fruit. And Jesus himself, talking about the vine and the branch, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Friends, how often are you abiding in the word, the truth? with the filter of Jesus and the gospel. How often? I pray daily. I pray when, when you have the opportunity to drift and daydream. I hope your, your mind doesn't go to thick darkness of foulness, which is where mine used to go every day. Where now by grace it begins to go towards good things, the true, the beautiful, and the good excellent and praiseworthy things. And that's not because of me. It's because God has radically changed me. And I still wrestle with evil, wicked thoughts almost every day. So if that's you, listen, you're in good company. You know what you need to do? Fight. Take up the full armor of God, stand in the truth, and get your belt on. Put your belt on, friend. Listen, this is spiritual weaponry. We are fighting big lies and little lies. Big lies and little lies. Stand therefore. So the picture is you're in a battle and you're standing in the battle and you are, are at war and you're still standing. Why? Because you have fastened on the belt of truth. You have fastened on the belt of truth. Now, let's look at righteousness and we're done. Righteousness and we're done. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, okay? Righteousness 
this, this armor on the soldier would cover the front and cover the back. Okay, that way, if someone was shooting at them arrows or coming at them with spears or sword or club, the, the vitals were protected. This is the bulletproof vest, if you will, of our modern day uh, SWAT teams. Okay? This is vital area that if you get hit here, you're in trouble. Okay? Now listen, the metaphor is if you depend on your own righteousness, you are fully exposed to the attacks of the enemy. This is Christ's righteousness protecting you, not your righteousness, because you don't have any. Now, that's not to say that once you become a Christian, you don't actually practically begin to become more righteous, because you do. And James tells us in his epistle that faith without works is dead. So the good works actually prove that there's some life there, some spiritual life. But listen, if I had to depend on my own righteousness for protection, I'm dead. Are you? So praise God, we have the righteousness of another to protect us. Let's look at one verse in Philippians and we're done. Oh, that's long, huh? <laughs> it's the last one, I promise. Jamal, you all right? All right, if he's good, we're good. All right, here we go. So P- Paul, the last one, I promise. I'm praying we're done. Philippians, don't let the devil tempt you right now <laughs> to drift off into the land of darkness. Don't do it. This is good stuff. You ready? All right, Philippians 3, 2 to 9. Paul is warning the Philippian church, and and fascinatingly, the Colossian text we looked at, the the Ephesian text, and now this one, all written at the same time, along with Philemon, while Paul was on house arrest. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, this is the next book after Ephesians, and then we're going Old Testament for a little bit. Look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about uh, what was Judaizers in those days. Those who said, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need to follow the Old Testament uh, dietary laws, ceremonial laws, calendar laws. You need Jesus plus. For we are the circumcision. So he's talking to the Philippians. We, the Christians, are the genuine people of God who worship by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and glory in Christ Jesus. And look, put no confidence in the flesh. So, so the temptation for these people was to do something, to have works that they perform that had God pleased with them. God, I want to please you by what I do. I want my own righteousness. I want the breastplate of my righteousness. Paul says we put no confidence in our works, in our flesh. None. None. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. All right, you want to you fight the who's more righteous battle? Watch this one. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. Now, now that doesn't mean anything to you. But to Paul, that was the Old Testament uh, prescription for being in the people of God. He, he followed the law even when he couldn't say, dada. I was following the law since I was an infant. Okay? Circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. Ethnically, I am God's people. In fact, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the, you know, the glorious tribes. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Both parents 
Hebrew. As to the law, God's prescribed will in the Old Testament, I was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the strictest keepers of the law. They were the reform movement in Judaism. Okay? They were strict, even, even tithing their spice rack. Jesus said this about them. As to zeal, you want to know how fired up I was? A persecutor of the church. That means he went after what he saw as a deviation from the truth. He saw this sect of Judaism called the way as opposed to the true way in Paul's mind, and he went to stamp it out. I was fired up to destroy this Jesus and his followers. As to righteousness under the law, what could I accomplish by my own strength, by my own doing? Blameless. Say that again, Paul. Blameless. I looked in the mirror in the morning, and I, blameless. That's how he saw himself. Listen to this. But whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. You know what else that could be translated as? Dung. Crap. It's garbage. It belongs in the dumpster. Everything I've accomplished is worthless, meaningless, nothing, no weight on the scales. I got no righteousness, Paul's saying. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Listen, in order that I might gain Christ. And you can just see the smile crack as he's penning it. So that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Friends, this is the righteousness you need to withstand Satan and his fiery darts. You need Christ's righteousness, not yours. And this is given to you simply by trusting in Jesus and turning away from yourself. Look away from yourself. Abandon yourself. Turn away from your own efforts. Despise yourself even. And go to Jesus and you will be safe. And if the enemy accuses you, you could just agree with him. Yeah, I am unrighteous. But my salvation is not dependent on my own righteousness because I am found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or good works. Rather, my righteousness is by trusting in Christ. It's given to me, gifted to me. It's new, clean clothes that I put on that I did not earn or buy. This is the beauty of the gospel, friends. So we fight with truth as opposed to the lies and we fight with the righteousness of Christ given to us. That's your spiritual weaponry for tonight. Truth, you need to stand in it and on it. You need to stand on the truth as it is in Christ, the gospel. And you must, friends, remind yourself regularly, daily, of your righteousness that's not your own. Walk out of here tonight singing, I am righteous, but it's not my righteousness. And you will be safe. You will be safe from the accusations of the devil.